Morning, everyone. Great to see you. Thanks for the introductions. Grateful to the rest of the team that have joined us today as well. So, yeah, my name's Andy Wright. I lead the Hub Church in, in Basingstoke, so we meet at the Apollo Hotel, which is kind of just down the road, really, isn't it? So um, just a short trip. I, I dropped my, my wife and my kids off at the Apollo there, there, there this morning with the service there. Tracy, my wife's involved in the in the children's work today, so they send their greetings as well. But greetings from the hub. We are looking at this, as, as Greg shared earlier, this, this kind of tour, if you like. I've even put it up on the PowerPoint there, because it sounds good, doesn't it? Kind of a tour around the different churches. But it's a real joy to be here this morning. And we're looking at the same passage of Scripture in each of the churches. So as Greg said, two churches last Sunday and then two, including obviously yourselves here in Tadley this morning. So in a minute, I'm going to read that passage of scripture. If you want to find it in your own Bible or on your device, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're going to be looking at. And uh, it will also come up on the screen. So if you prefer to follow it on the screen, that's fine. Uh, And it will come up in in a few moments. But we can have it up there. That's fine. No problem. So Greg was with us, as he mentioned, last week in the Hub, and I've got to say, we are just so blessed by your leader and your leadership team here in Tadley. When Greg's, Greg's come a couple of times to the Hub, at least, to speak, each time I haven't actually been there, but that's no reflection on Greg, it's just, yeah, it's just how, it's, how it's worked out. But it's almost like a bit of an exchange, Greg coming to us last week and me here this week. And, and I, I think we probably got the better deal in the hub, if I'm honest, because we just value Greg so much. And he's such a blessing. I love his heart for the word. I love his heart for God. And he's such a blessing to us. So do remember your leaders. They are blessings to you. Greg and Sue and, and all your leadership team, all your elders here are just fantastic. We really have a lot of time for them. And we're really blessed by them. So, and isn't it great just to be a family together? as BCCs. We really value that. So thank you for having me this morning. So let's have a look at this passage then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start reading from verse 19. It says this, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now I had to read that a few times just to start to get my head around it a little bit. So don't worry if you're feeling like I'm not quite following that, I want to reread it. Feel free if you've got it in front of you to reread it as I talk But I just want to unpack some of that as we go through this morning, because I think what Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth is really, really important and really life-giving. And I think it's a message for us today and one that we felt as the core team of BCCs that we wanted to take to the churches. 
But before we delve into this particular passage, let me just talk a little bit about the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, as I say, is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And really, it's quite a difficult book to summarize because Paul deals with about 11 different issues throughout the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. It ranges from divisions within the church to litigation to going to prostitutes to order and worship to that wonderful chapter in, in chapter 13 where Paul talks about love and we quote it many, many times. Lots of things he talks about and it's clear that not all is well with the church in Corinth. There's a number of things here that Paul writes to the church, and he's trying to correct a number of their practices and address a number of things that's happening in the church. But I love how this letter, I don't even notice this, but I love how this letter of 1 Corinthians starts and ends with the cross and the resurrection. It's bookended with the cross and the resurrection. In chapters 1 and 2 in particular, Paul talks a lot about the cross of Christ. And then in chapter 16, the last chapter, he's, there's a lot of final greetings and summing up going on. But the last main thing he, he, he looks at is in chapter 15 is the resurrection. And so let's have a look at a few of these things that Paul has to say about the cross and resurrection, because I think they're powerful. So in right at the beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this, for the message of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Amen. And then in over into chapter 2 and, and from verse 1, he says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So here he's talking about Christ and him crucified. He's talking about the message of the cross. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it's the power of God. A real emphasis on the cross of Christ as he begins. And then I've just got to read a bit of 1 Corinthians 15, right towards the end. I think this is massively powerful when Paul talks about the resurrection. He says this from verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come you, some of you can say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. amen. I, thought, I thought, if I'm honest, I thought we might get a little bit more of a amen, a little bit, maybe even a little whoop whoop or a few kind of cheers. So can we just try that again from verse 20? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. Don't you love how he starts and ends with the cross and resurrection? And I think through that he's saying as he bookends this letter with those two incredible events, everything in between must be seen through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Our faith hinges on it. So here in our passage in chapter 9, we see that Paul is free. And he uses that freedom that he has to adapt what he does to reach different groups of people. Just before our our passage that we just read, those few verses in chapter 9, Paul talks about any reward that he could receive from preaching the gospel. He talks about how he lays that down. His reward is the preaching of the gospel free of charge. That's his reward, to be able to do that. He doesn't want to make full use of his rights as an apostle, as a preacher. He's genuine. I think he's showing how genuine he is. He wants to communicate to the Corinthians how genuine he is that his calling is to preach the gospel, and that's what he's going to do. He doesn't want to take his reward for it. He's committed to that one goal. He's entitled to be fed and watered, we read earlier in chapter 9. He's entitled to be looked after because of what he does, his apostleship and his preaching of the gospel. He's entitled to have a wife and he's entitled to take her with him on his ministry journeys. He's entitled to all the benefits of being an apostle, a church builder, a church encourager. But he doesn't take advantage of that in any kind of monetary term or any kind of benefit because I think he's saying it's all about Christ and him crucified. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about seeing this gospel to go out to different kinds of people, to different groups of people. You see how Paul's using his freedom? He's free in many ways. He's free. He's not under the law anymore, as we read in our passage. He's living as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. He's had this amazing Damascus Road experience. And he's following Jesus and all that that means. He's free But he wants to use his freedom to see the gospel go out. He meets people where they're at. He doesn't turn his back on those he's trying to reach because they don't do things the way he does things. He's totally focused on winning souls for Christ. Right back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we didn't look at it, but he makes it clear that his calling is to preach the gospel. He makes that abundantly clear. And then in verse 16 of chapter 9, he repeats it again. That's my calling, to preach the gospel. And he'll go to all kinds of lengths to make that happen. So in our passage, we read that he'll become like a Jew to reach the Jews. This nation of Israel, this people of God that, that God's established, who are kind of following the law of God, he's going to become like them in order to reach them. He's willing to do that. To those under the law, he says, and I think here he's still talking about the Jewish people, he will become like them in order to reach them with the gospel, with this life-changing encounter that he's had in his life. He wants to see others have that too. But he makes it clear that he's not still under the law, but he'll become like those people in order to reach them with the gospel. 
Then he goes on to say to those not having the law. I think here he's talking about the Gentiles. He had the Jewish people and then kind of everyone else is the Gentiles. And and Paul was the preacher to the Gentiles because he wants to take the message to these people, to everyone else. It's not just about one nation. It's about the whole world because God sent his son to the whole world, to everyone We read that wonderful picture, I think it's Revelation chapter 7, of the worship around the throne that's to come, of all nations, all people, all language, all tribes worshipping around the throne. That's what's to come, it's the whole world, and Paul wants to see that message go out to every person that he can, because it's for everyone. He'll become like the Gentiles in order to reach them with the gospel. He says to the weak he'll become weak. He'll become, maybe this is people who haven't yet received the message. We don't know exactly what Paul meant when he said that, but he will reach all people, whatever their weakness, wherever they're at, he will relate to them. He'll adapt to their circumstance and their situation in order to reach them with the gospel. Then he finishes by saying that he became all things. He's willing to become all things to all people. Why? so that he may win some for Christ. Can you see his determination? Can you see his heart? Can you see the extent that he's willing to go to, to reach people with the gospel? He isn't being two-faced here. He's not lacking integrity. He's not trying to, yeah, he's not trying to, some people, I'm sure I do it as well, but we, we, we kind of, can act differently in different circumstances. He's not trying to do that. It's not a lack of integrity. He's just willing to adapt to bring the gospel into different situations. I spent 12 years as a police officer between 2002 and 2014. At that point, I resigned from the police and and I started working with South Church as it was here in BCCs alongside John Coombs. And that was a a real blessing, and then later, obviously, we started the, the hub, and I've just got the privilege and blessing of being, in, being involved in, in that. But for 12 years, I was a police officer, and the police is a really interesting culture. It's absolutely fascinating, the culture in the police. Have you got any police officers or anyone who's been a police officer? So, everyone in the police calls it the job. That's how they refer to it. So, how long have you been in the job for? Or what do you like best about the job? That's how people talk. And sometimes it's even shortened to just job. So you might see someone out on the, on, on the street when you're out shopping or something when you're, when you're not working. And I recognize you. Are you job? And, and, and it's just a language. It's just the way we, we refer. But everyone knows in the police what you're talking about. And I think it's some sort of recognition that actually the role of a police officer is just different to anything else. There's almost no job like it. In the police, you work all kinds of hours. At one moment, you can be compiling a really boring case file for a big crown court hearing and thinking, I'm going to spend my whole shift just writing reports and doing paperwork. And then the next moment, you could be running out of the police station, jumping into a car, blue lights to a colleague because they've shouted up for help and you're the nearest unit to them. Sometimes you could be fighting with a drunk person in the street one moment And the next moment, you're sitting down with an elderly person telling them that their partner of 50 years has suddenly died. It can go from extreme to extreme. In any one day, you see the best in humanity and you see the worst in humanity. 
You rely on your colleagues and your friends and your family to get you through. Sadly, the divorce rate in the police is so high. Sadly, mental health issues in the police is so high as people try and deal with all the things that they've seen. But it gives you opportunity to share. I remember many a night shift driving around, having the opportunity to share with colleagues some really deep stuff that they wanted to chat about. And the opportunity when you're one-on-one with someone to chat through those things is, is great. I had the opportunity to share my faith with people. I had the opportunity to share my story and share something of the gospel. And they were precious times. I had a friend in the police called Mark. When I was a young officer, he was close to retirement. And he'd been a Christian all his life in the, in the police. And he told me stories of how he used to gather young police officers, other young police officers, and he'd pray with them and he'd share the gospel with them. He saw some of them saved. He saw some of them healed. He saw, he saw something of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the police. And a couple of times he said, Andy, you've got to understand this. He said, it takes a copper to reach a copper. You know, and I think that's so true. I think there's something of a recognition that actually you've got to understand the culture. You've got to understand some of the things that people go through. You've got to understand some of the things, some of the pressures that people face and what they have to deal with. And actually, if you've been through that as well, if you can relate to that, then it gives you a permission to speak into other people's lives. So you've got to enter the culture. I think this is something of what Paul's saying here. You've got to get to know people. You've got to understand what they have to deal with. You've got to understand something of the pressures that they face in order to share the gospel. Immediately after our passage in 1 Corinthians 9, still in that chapter, if you read on a little bit, you'll read about Paul using a sporting analogy of running and boxing when he talks about the need to keep in good shape ourselves, that after preaching to other people, that we ourselves might not be disqualified from the prize. I think there's a warning here. I think there's a warning that as we enter culture to make sure that we're faithful to what we believe, we don't lose the hope that we have. But also underlining the fact that these people need to know this hope. We don't want to see anyone disqualified from the prize. Let's keep in good shape ourselves. Yes, he's using a kind of physical analogy of sport, but I think he's talking about physical keeping in shape. uh, Sorry, a, a spiritual keeping in shape to be able to make sure that many receive this prize. But we we ourselves, as we preach, don't lose the hope that we have. He talks about gold medals, accolades, things like that that we receive as. On, on this planet, when you might win a sporting event, you may receive a gold medal or, or praise from other humans. But actually, let's go after a prize that's eternal. Let's go after a prize that will never spoil or fade our eternity with Christ. But let's see so many join in that as well. Talking about sport, my daughter Lydia has recently got into swimming in the last couple of years. And... Uh, she swims with Basingstoke Bluefins in town and she's doing really well. She competed at the Hampshire County Championships just a couple of weeks ago and, and did brilliantly and I'm really, really proud of her. And she's made so many friends. She comes back from each of her training sessions at the Aquadrome or actually in Tadley as well on Friday night. She swims in Tadley. 
And uh, she'll always come back and she'll always talk about the friends that she has at swimming. She'll always talk about the things they say. She'll always talk about the things they do. And she giggles to us after her swimming sessions, Tracy and I. She tells us about all the things she's done. And it's great to see her enjoy it so much. She's made some great, great friends at swimming. And I've made some friends as well. And I've really enjoyed getting to know some of the parents. Swimming's a really technical sport. So to learn the four different main strokes is, is pretty technical to be good at those. But I've also trained as an official, so I've, I've tried to get involved and volunteer in that way. And, and how they have to swim all the four strokes, how they've got to touch the wall and push off from the wall, whether on their front, whether on their back as they push off, all kinds of different rules in swimming that's really technical. And I've loved getting involved and I've loved learning. And over the last few years, I've had opportunities with different parents to get in and share the gospel. But I feel like I've had to get to know people. I feel like I've had to get to know and learn how they tick. And, and a lot of the parents are swimmers as well, and, and probably why their, their children are, are enjoying that and swimming to a good level as well. But it takes some time to get to know, especially in a culture like that, and very technical culture. It takes some time to get to know how it works, what makes people tick in that kind of sporting culture, or it could be any kind of different culture that you've got in your mind at the moment as I talk. But as you get to know people, as you get to understand the sport or the hobby or whatever it is, then I think it gives you permission. You have some confidence to share with the people who are involved in that and who enjoy that. I've had an opportunity to, or some opportunities, as I say, to share the gospel with some parents and families at swimming. I invited one to come to our Christmas service just a few months ago at the Apollo and at the her and her husband and the whole family came along and they loved it. It's an opportunity, having got to know some people, to invite them along. And that's been great. So let me ask you this morning, where are you becoming immersed in a culture outside of the church? Where are you adapting? Where are you learning? Where are you starting to understand a culture to allow you opportunities to get to know people Opportunities to share your story, opportunities to share the gospel. A guy called Andy Crouch wrote a book in 2008 called Culture Making. And in this book, he outlined four different areas where the church have tried to connect with the culture around them. And while he identifies things that are good about them and he recognizes there's some, some things that are appropriate about these four things, really it's a, it's a way of, of almost critiquing it a little bit and saying, how could we engage better with culture and, and people and groups around us? Greg's going to like this because all these four things start with C. It will start with the same letter. And, and actually, he then suggests another way that we could engage maybe slightly better with culture, and that also starts with a C as well. So that's, that's good. So I'm not taking any credit for this. This is all Andy Crouch. So what are these things that he outlines then? Well, first of all, he says that maybe we as the church have been quick to condemn culture. Maybe we've been quick to say, everything out there is just anti-God. It's just the kingdom of darkness. We've been redeemed from that into the kingdom of light. It's just not right. It's just sinful. We're just going to condemn it. We're just going to say no to it all and say, we're not doing that. We're not connecting with that. It's just not right. It's just ungodly. And we're the people of God, so we're going to stay away from it. 
And while there are some things in culture that we should rightly condemn, we're also called to reach those people. And so just to write it off as ungodly and wrong just doesn't seem to be the way to do it. So maybe we've done that at times. Secondly, maybe we've been quick to critique culture, saying, okay, maybe maybe it's God's world and it's good, but there's things out there that we just don't like, so we're going to be a bit picky about stuff, and we're going to say, I'm not sure about this. That's all right. We might engage with that, but we're going to stay away from that. And like I say, some things we should stay away from. But too quickly, we can become a bit critical of individuals, I think, if we do this, and be critical of their choices, and just separate ourselves a little bit. As you maybe critique a piece of art or, or something like that, you can kind of pick out the good things and the bad things. But it still leaves us standing off a little bit from the culture around us. Well, maybe we've been quick to kind of copy culture. Maybe we've said, okay, there's, there's good stuff out there, but we want to kind of redeem it a bit and make it ours. And so a good example of this is maybe something like Christian rock music, where we said, okay, the music's seen out in the world. Maybe there's some things we don't quite like about that. So we're going to, but we look quite like the music, so we're going to take the music and we're going to redeem it a bit and we're going to make it Christian. We're going to put Christian lyrics to it and we'll have Christian rock bands and stuff. And I I like that, so I'm not criticising that. But again, it kind of takes it away from the, the world and kind of brings it back into the church a little bit and doesn't help us so much to connect with the world around us. Or maybe finally we've been too quick to consume culture. Maybe there's a draw in the world out there. I think our young people at the moment in particular, there's as big as much as there's ever been, there's a a draw to them to to the world around them. And we need to try and help them and try and train them and pray for them. That they wouldn't succumb to the, the bad parts of the culture around us that will lead them away from God. Maybe some of us have just fallen for it a little bit and have consumed culture a bit when actually we could see it in a different way and we could do it a better way, I believe. So maybe rather than these four things, what is a way that we could engage a bit more healthily with the culture around us? Well, how about we create culture? This is what Andy Crouch really goes for in his book. How about creating culture? How about trying to show a better way within the culture around us? How about them rather than just trying to get the culture to change or rather than just separating ourselves from it? How about trying to reach people with the gospel within their culture? How about trying to create culture, kingdom culture, bringing the kingdom of God into the communities around us? So let me encourage you this morning. How could you make something of the world around you? What are you into? Is it a sport? Is it a hobby? Is it a group? Is it a community group? What are you passionate about? What culture are you called to influence? When I thought about this this morning, I was trying to think of some of the big driving factors in society today. That might be education, it might be fair trade goods, it might be the environment and sustainability. That's a big driving factor in culture today. Authenticity, people want something that's authentic and genuine in a world that at times, let's be honest, isn't. 
distribution of wealth, businesses supporting charity. When you go into stores and buy stuff, quite often these days you can round up your payment on the card machine to the nearest pound or, or more, and they'll give the business will give the money to the charity they support. Even in McDonald's now, you can round up your payment on the new machines they have, and they'll give the money to charity. Endless ways that we could be part of creating new culture. Wouldn't it be great if we could just bring the kingdom of God into all these things? Be culture makers around us, bringing the kingdom of God and godly principles into the world around us. Will we be part of influencing culture, creating culture, adapting as we need to, to bring the gospel to those around us? Paul was free. He was free in many ways. And we are free. But let's not use our freedom to somehow hide away and separate ourselves from a world that so desperately needs the love of God. Let's be like Paul and keep the cross and resurrection absolutely central to everything we do. Let's be willing to adapt with the intention of winning some for Christ. And I'm impressed with what you guys do as a church. I hear different things of what you've done. I remember probably a year or two ago, now, when you had a problem here in Tadley with young people, and I think it was a particular drug that was going round, and there was issues coming up because of it. And so what did you as a church do? Well, you didn't condemn it. You didn't just say, well, this is anti-God. We're, we're, no, we're stepping, we've got nothing to do, no thank you. We don't want to have anything to do with that. You didn't critique it. You didn't say, oh, you know, if people will choose that way, then these are the kind of things that are going to happen. You didn't stand in judgment on it. What did you do? Well, you, you took the parenting course that Richard and Caroline had been using and you got parents of teenagers in the community together. You brought them together and you helped to train them on, on a better way and how to connect with their youngsters better, how to help them to make better choices. What a great way of creating new culture in your community in response to something that was happening. Well done. I think of your treacle fair, is it, that you have in, in Tadley, and how you, how you engage with that, and how you take part in that, and how you bring the kingdom of God into that. Well done. I think of people like, in BCCs like Pete Hay, who are taking the heart smart, uh, how to train young people to be emotionally intelligent right from a, a young age, taking that into the schools in Basingstoke and beyond. What a great way of creating new culture Kingdom culture, to see God move, becoming relevant to our communities. And maybe it will just give us an opportunity to get in and share the gospel. And let me finish with that. Let me just finish with this encouragement. That for Paul, it was all about preaching the gospel. For Paul, he's adapting to the communities around him to bring a message of hope. A message of the cross and resurrection. I think sometimes there's, there's a temptation that we can start a load of initiatives and, and, uh, and, and, and that's great, bringing the kingdom of God into things, the love of God and the presence of God through food banks, through all kinds of, of different things that we do. But let's not forget that it's about preaching the gospel. It's about this eternal hope that people need to hear. It's the cross and the resurrection right in the center. That's the message that people need to hear. Let's care for people. Let's show the heart of God to people. Let's create culture. But let's look for opportunities to share Jesus with people because that's what will change people forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you.